As Prime Minister Modi hosted India's first SEO summit, differences with China and Pakistan came to the fore, as well as the discomfort with the anti-Western rhetoric. Was the summit a missed opportunity or simply a sign of the times? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sahasini Heather. Now, last year, the, around this time, Worldview had come to you from Samarkand and a grand summit of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization or the SCO there uh, with Presidents Putin, Xi, Prime Minister Sharif, Central Asian leaders, including the host Uzbekistan's President Mirziyoyev and Prime Minister Narendra Modi. This year, the comparison was stark as India hosted its first SCO summit had all those leaders there, but online, even as Prime Minister Modi praised the relevance of the grouping. Listen in. SEO, Pure Asia Kshetrame, Shanti, Samrudhi, or Vikas Kelie, Ek Mahatopon platform Kerupe Obrahe. Is Kshetra Kesat, Bharat Ke Hajaro Vars Purane Sanskritik. और पीपल टू पीपल संबंध हमारी साझा विरासत का जीवन प्रमाण है हम इस क्षेत्र को एक्सटेंडेड नेबरहुड ही नहीं एक्सटेंडेड फैमिली की तरह देखते हैं नाउ फॉर दोस जस्ट जॉइनिंग द एससीओ इज अ ग्रुपिंग ऑफ यूरेशियन पावर्स ओरिजिनली रशिया चाइना फोर सेंट्रल एशियन कंट्रीज कजाकिस्तान किर्गिस्तान Tajikistan and Uzbekistan that was started in 2001. It came out of what was called the Shanghai Five. India and Pakistan were inducted, the first such inductions, in 2017. So the question, why was this summit important at all? Are these countries relevant to India's foreign policy future? Or are, is the organization itself in some way relevant? Uh, to begin with, this was the first time India hosted the SEO summit. It took over as chair last year. It held over that period 134 meetings, many of them virtual, including 15 ministerial meetings. Remember, as I said, India had joined the SEO in 2005 as an observer. It only became a member in 2017. This was the 23rd SEO summit. Now, this was also an important summit because Iran was inducted as a full member. This is important for India as it is through Iran that India's connectivity plans for the region lie through Chabahar in particular as well as the International North-South Transport Corridor. We've spoken about this before. In addition, uh, there were some countries that were brought in as dialogue partners of the SEO, Kuwait, Maldives, Myanmar, the UAE, all countries with strong ties with India. Thirdly, at a time that the Modi government is really at an impasse over forging a joint statement for the G20, the SEO Delhi declaration that was passed without similar troubles because Ukraine was not mentioned in the joint statement was a success for Delhi at this time. For India, which has made fighting terrorism a cornerstone of its foreign policy, the grouping has a focus on terror issues and this year particularly on new age terror mechanisms like the use of social media, terror financing, drone technology, etc. The SEO leaders actually signed a joint statement on countering radicalization leading to terrorism, separatism and extremism, which all the countries, including Pakistan, signed on to. Fifth, this is the second SEO summit, remember, since the Ukraine conflict began. 
And while clearly there was no criticism of Russia in the statement, the joint statement did speak about finding ways around the sanctions against Russia. And they condemned sanctions that were unilateral in the statement. Leaders spoke in favor of implementing, quote, a roadmap for the gradual increase in the share of national currencies in mutual settlements by the interested member states. So it, uh, India did not sign on to what was called the economic cooperation roadmap for many reasons. But of course, India has been using currencies other than the dollar to pay for Russian oil, including rupees, dirhams, and even the Chinese yuan. Now, speaking at the summit, this was said most starkly by Iran President Ibrahim Raisi, who said, quote, any attempt to shape an international system requires the removal of this instrument of dominance, what he called the dollar, in intra-regional relations. So the rhetoric really quite heated there. Sixth, the joint statement also referred to Afghanistan, for which the SCO maintains a special contact group. For India, which has joined other SCO countries in opening its mission or reopening its mission in, in Kabul, despite the Taliban being in power, it is significant that the statement spoke of curbing terror, drugs in the country, bringing an inclusive government in. Was missing, of course, was there was no mention of the rights of women or girls' education in the statement. That's more seen, perhaps, in Western-driven statements. Seventh, in addition, the SCO issued a joint statement on digital transformation. This has been a key objective of the Modi government. It's spoken about the need for using digital payments. India really sees itself as a, um, a path bearer, if you like, in this. So given what seems to be a substantive agenda, where did all those problems lie? And did those problems actually overshadow India's SCO chairmanship? Uh, to begin with, of course, India's bilateral differences with China and Pakistan underpinned many of the problems with the summit. Uh, first, India's opposition to China's Belt and Road Initiative. Of course, that dates back several years um, because of the Belt and Road, including projects in Pakistan-occupied Kashmir. Uh, and this was also recorded in the joint statements. It's been recorded over the years that India stays out of the paragraphs that pertain to the Belt and Road Initiative. In fact, Prime Minister Modi also referred to this in his speech. किसी भी क्षेत्र की प्रगति के लिए मजबूत कनेक्टिविटी का होना बहुत ही आवश्यक है। बेहतर कनेक्टिविटी आपसी व्यापार ही नहीं, आपसी विश्वास भी बढ़ाती है। किंतु इन प्रयासों में SCO चार्टर के मूल सिद्धांतों विशेष रूप से सदस्य देशों की संप्रभुता और क्षेत्रीय अखंडता का सम्मान करना बहुत ही आवश्यक है। Second, he also referred to the double standards on terrorism. There was a reference to China's blocking Indian attempts to add terrorist names to the UN Security Council's designation list, including the most recent block that China put on 26/11 attacks handler Sajid Mir. Uh, but he also spoke directly about the problem of cross-border terrorism, and that is a reference to Pakistan. Here's what he said, and the response from Pakistan Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif. कुछ देश cross-border terrorism को अपनी नीतियों के instrument के रूप में इस्तेमाल करते हैं, आतंकवादियों को पनाह देते हैं, SCO को ऐसे देशों की आलोचना में कोई संकोच नहीं करना चाहिए ऐसे गंभीर विषय पर दोहरे मापदंड के लिए कोई स्थान नहीं होना चाहिए 
the hydra-headed monster of terrorism and extremism, whether committed by individuals, societies, or states, must be fought with full vigor and conviction. Any temptation to use it as a cudgel for diplomatic point scoring must be avoided under all circumstances. Terrorism in all its forms and manifestations, including state terrorism, must be condemned in clear and unambiguous terms. There can be no justification for the killing of innocent people, regardless of the cause or pretext. Similarly, religious minorities should never be demonized in the pursuit of domestic political agendas. So much point scoring there, although remember that bilateral issues are not actually brought up directly at the SCO. Third, and this was the big problem, India was isolated over an agreement for an economic cooperation roadmap 2030 that was agreed to by all the other SCO members. It's still unclear exactly what India objected to in the draft text, originally I think circulated by Tajikistan, there were references to the BRI perhaps, a Chinese imprint or whether it was the de-dollarization plan. Uh, but India for the moment has not signed on to this agreement, whereas the other countries actually have. Uh, a fourth big problem, Indian proposals for making English uh, a formal language at the SCO, which would really make it more representative of the membership, because before that it was either Chinese, Mandarin or Russian. Um, but uh, they also objected to Indian initiatives on things like millets, on lifestyle for environment, which are Prime Minister Modi's pet projects. Apparently, these were blocked by China. Fifth problem, the timing of the SCO summit. It came in between Prime Minister Modi's visit to Washington in June and then to Paris next week in July. Uh, this clearly led to some uh, discomfort given the anti-Western slant of the grouping as a whole. Uh, especially with the induction of Iran, proposed membership of Belarus next year, both countries really sanctioned by the West, this becomes a tougher tightrope walk for India. And lastly, because of all these reasons perhaps, or some of them, including the optics of hosting President Putin during the war, the problems with China uh, at the LAC, with Pakistan in general, uh, for, the government actually decided just to cancel its plans for the in-person summit and hold instead a single session virtual meet. Uh, it disappointed, this decision disappointed in particular the Central Asian countries that had already confirmed their participation. Remember the India-Central Asia meet for Republic Day last year also had to be cancelled that time due to COVID. The online summit meant Prime Minister Modi also missed an opportunity to speak to Russian and Chinese leaders about the G20 summit communique and the impasse there. And this is just ahead of the Sherpa meeting next week in Hampi, which is meant to finalize the draft. It's the last meeting of the G20 Sherpas before the summit itself. Given the obvious discomforts and the disunity that seemed to come out at the SEO summit, many are already asking, is India's membership even warranted? Uh, this is just six years after India actually joined. So let's take a look at why the SCO remains important for India. In an increasingly polarized world, the SCO membership allows India to keep its balance, strategic autonomy and place in a non-Western part of the world without needing to pledge allegiance in any way. 
The second reason, the SEO re countries represent, and I can give you a whole list, but it's 42% of the world's population, 24% of its GDP, 20% of global oil, 44% of its natural resources, a sizable chunk of world food production, connectivity for future trade, markets, all the rest. The SEO membership cannot be underestimated. Third, the SEO began as a conflict resolution stability grouping. Now it really increasingly looks at connectivity. Remember, both of these are key concerns for India. It is also one of the rare regional groupings that India is a part of, given that it has worked out or at least has not uh, agreed to attend any SARC summits, uh, the South Asian grouping, and it has walked out of the RCEP, that uh, uh, economic FTA for ASEAN countries, uh, China, Australia, New Zealand, and others. Fourth, the link to Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, other Central Asian countries is increasingly important, both as a market and as a resource base. Uh, the SEO allows India to be part of that alternative economic structure in the world, especially as sanctions on Russia and Iran make it difficult to do normal trade with them, as India has seen over the last few years. In fact, more on this is going to be seen at the BRICS summit next month in South Africa. Many of the countries looking for something like a BRICS payment mechanism that will create its own economic world order, if you like. So what is the worldview take on what has happened with the SEO summit this week? Having done the hard work and accepted all the risks of non-alignment for decades, India stands in a stronger position today. I think that's unarguable as a balancing powder, power and one whose demand for strategic autonomy is respected by all. Countries are willing to work with India despite that position. To give up or undermine its SEO presence is to give up a foothold in an important part of the world that is right at India's own borders. India's hosting of the SEO summit therefore lost the opportunity to assert its leadership in the grouping and the discomfort with the SEO's anti-Western slant, it's pejoratively called the Association of Autocrats. This is simply a sign of the times that India has to learn to navigate. Now let's get you some worldview recommendations and uh, book recommendations uh, for you. And remember, this is a difficult subject. Not too much has been written about the SEO itself. But I'll get you some books that will give you enough uh, background on why it's important to India. To begin with, this book is a must read. If you haven't read it, you must already call India and Central Asia, The Strategic Dimension by P. Stoddan. It's a recent book. The second, not so well known and actually a little more difficult to read, is Unlocking India's Strategic Potential in Central Asia. This is by Roman Mazulevsky. Then a couple of compendiums of essays. There's India's foreign policy in the post-COVID world. This is edited by Ambassador Surendra Kumar. There's a chapter on India and Central Asia by former ambassador to Uzbekistan, Vinod Kumar. Uh, that's a must-read plus chapters on India's ties with China, Russia and Iran. Another compendium, Modi Shaping a Global Order in Flux by Sujan Chinoy and Vijay Chauthaiwale. Uh, clearly, one is the head of the IDSA, the other the BJP's foreign cell. So it does have that political uh, sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very pro-government. But there are very many interesting chapters in it. Talks about really from a government point of view, what are the important relations for India. And don't miss this chapter on India-Russia ties by former ambassador to Moscow, D.B. Venkatesh Varma. Uh, then uh, another set of essays, really, the Sino-Indian Rivalry, Implications for Global Order, edited by Sumit Ganguly. This is a very recent book, and I urge you to read it. Uh, a book a, a little further ago written called Belt and Road, A Chinese World Order by Bruno Masais. 
but it has uh, been very percipient. It's really looked into the future there. Another book, more on economic stuff, China's Belt and Road Initiative and its International Consequences by Azar Barnett. Uh, difficult to find and difficult to read, actually. Uh, also, India in the Era of China's Belt and Road Initiative, a Modi Response to Xi by Anil Sigdal. Clearly a very, very focused book. And then I have two books which really are favorites of mine. They stay on my bookshelf. I refer to them when possible. And I think you might find them interesting in just molding your thought about the idea. Does geography always uh, outpost history or is it the other way around? One is called The Revenge of Geography. I've spoken about it before. What the maps tell us, map tells us about the coming conflicts and the battle against fate. Uh, this is by Robert E. Kaplan, and of course, I've spoken about some of his other books, including Monsoon before. And another really interesting book called The Rise and Fall of the Great Powers by Paul Kennedy. It looks at the big powers in the world today, but doesn't just give them the immediate uh, uh, situation, but looks at them over a number of centuries. So we hope you enjoy reading all of these, and we hope you enjoy Worldview. Do subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube, on the Hindu's YouTube channel, or subscribe uh, to our website www.thehindu.com from the team here to join us again and thanks for watching.